0: Welcome to HMH Learning Moments. I'm Annalie, and for today's Teachers in America episode, host Rose Else Mitchell, HMH's Chief Learning Officer, sits down with Brittany Mamphy, who teaches fifth grade reading and language arts at Mount Healthy North Elementary School in Cincinnati, Ohio. Brittany teaches in an urban setting where turnover is high. But today you'll hear what keeps her coming back to the classroom. Let's jump in. Let me start with why teaching? Why did you go
1: into teaching? There's a few reasons. Um, my mom is in sales and my dad's in accounting and I knew for sure I didn't want to do that. <laughs> <laughs> Sitting somewhere and, and in a cubicle and not having the interaction necessarily with other individuals except via email. I, that's not me. I want to communicate. I want to talk. Um, I also had a lot of impactful teachers growing up. Do you remember uh, one of them? Yes, I do. <laughs> Miss Connie. And she was my eighth grade math teacher. And I remember from sixth and seventh grade, I kind of was not, not advanced placement classes, but a little bit higher classes. And I remember it was like September, October, and she came up to me in the cafeteria in eighth grade and she said, Hey, why are you not signed up for my algebra one course? And I'm like, I I don't know. She was like, you took pre-algebra last year and everything else was advanced. Like, why don't you give it a try? And she gave me that confidence. And and math is still not my strong subject. I still think I got C's in class. But her taking that time out of her day to approach me and say, hey, I believe in you. Give it a try. We're going to get through this together. That made me very confident and, and trusting of teachers. Yeah. And do you remember the moment that you decided to be a teacher? Yeah. So in high school, there was a program that we had uh, through like a career center that you went through your senior year where you took some classes at um, the Ohio State University and kind of dabble a little bit in teaching. And they had came and did a presentation in my high school about what teaching was. And this is what the program is if you signed up for it. And first of all, I was like, hey, I only have to go to school in high school half a day and then I get to go to like a college campus. That's pretty cool. And then- So it was a mixed course where you were basically getting college credits while at high school? Correct. And I was like, okay, I can spend half a day in high school and half a day here. And Mrs. Kidwell, she was the teacher who gave that presentation. And the way that she spoke about teaching and how impactful it was, it had me sold. Wow. So your influences for teaching obviously came from teachers. Absolutely. Absolutely. Do you think you might be having that effect on some of the kids that you teach? I think I am. There's a few kids uh, at parent-teacher conferences where the parent's like, she says she wants to be a teacher. And I'm like, oh, no, 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 no. (laughs) Like, no, no, no. And I, I, I mean, that's like the highest form of flattery, but it's also... Um, I'm glad that they are interested in education and they want to be teachers. But also, I mean, as we're going to discuss in this podcast, the things that go along with that, I'm like, no.
2: So tell me about your first year teaching. I certainly remember mine. It was uh, awful. It was, right?
1: (laughs) It was absolutely awful. Tell me what was most awful. Classroom management. I mean, the amount of control that I had over students was very minimal. I thought that I could just come in and teach and that would just be it. But <laughs> it's much more than, it's much more than that. It's about building relationships with kids and gaining their respect and then you showing them respect for that to kind of work. My first year teaching, it was an interesting year because I was, a long-term sub. So I was there from October all the way to the end of the school year. So having that title as like long-term sub, the kids are right around with you. Yes, exactly. And I, they, I think because of like sub, they just assume that certain behaviors were acceptable. So what I did is when I got hired on that summer, I read a lot of books. I went to veteran teachers about classroom management. And I said, if it doesn't work out next school year, I'm done. Like, it's a wrap. If I can't manage my kids, I'm done teaching. Because I know over the summer I've given like 150% to get this turned around. And the next school year was a thousand times better. So what was your key to success, do you think? My key to success was... Creating a classroom management plan. My classroom is very structured. I have a plan. I had created a plan that how are kids going to pass in papers? How are kids going to get up and ask for a tissue? How are kids going to get into groups for group work? This seems very authoritative, but in order for your classroom to run, you have to have certain procedures in place or it's absolutely chaos. So my first two weeks of the school year, um, obviously we're diving into academics, but it's also unit zero is what I call it, unit right. zero. It's before we even get started with stuff. I'm teaching classroom expectations with my kids.
2: I love what you said that you you have to earn their respect and they're yours, right? It's There's nothing
1: automatic that says, because you're the teacher, you should be in charge. Absolutely. Why do you think that is? I've only taught in one sort of demographic, which is urban education, which we have a lousy retention rate of teachers. Mm. So they're used to a revolving door of teachers. So after my first year, they're like, are you coming back? Are you coming back, Ms. Banffy? And I'm like, yeah, I'm coming back. So each year, I think when kids, even kids that I don't have in fifth grade, when they see my face that I've returned, they know that I'm invested in them and they know that I care about them. Even little first graders who see me in the hallway and like, hey, I've seen this lady last year. Right. It automatically sort of earns you like this is a person who has been here more than just a school year and ha- is really dedicated to my success. Right. So I, th- I think kids see that. And I think that automatically, um, I mean, you have to build the relationship that doesn't automatically give you the respect, but it definitely contributes to that when you're right. consistent. They, they know, you know, sometimes their home lives aren't very consistent, but they know that they can count on you each day. Each day, you're going to be there. Each morning, I'm going to be standing at my door saying, good morning, put your things up, grab breakfast. Yeah. yeah what you're talking about is sort of the basics of creating a sense of
2: security. I mean, it's actually a lot like parenting. The idea that you'll always be there, the idea that they can you know, do something wrong, and things will still be okay. That's a pretty profound idea, and I don't think one we talk about very much that that's what teachers do. they're creating a sense of security for kids absolutely so what are the things that you think threaten that sense of security um in the building you mentioned? teachers leaving and and the high turnover, you know, that in itself is, you know, it's an administrative challenge to replace a teacher. But I think you're also saying it's kind of an emotional and sort of psychic challenge for the school and for kids. What are some of the other things that rattle kids' sense of security?
1: Home life, obviously, whatever's going on at home and uh, sometimes as a teacher, it's hard not to take that personally. I've had kids, all of a sudden, I feel like we've built like a really positive relationship and something can be happening at home and they express those behaviors towards me or towards other classmates. And you just have to realize it's it's not personal. It's not you that they're disliking at the moment. It's the situation they're in that they can't change. Yeah. Um, one thing that I try to instill in my students is, You know, you don't like your home life. You don't like what's going on right now at your house. And I know you're a kid and you can't change it. But one way out of this whole cycle that you're in right now that you don't like is education. And and whether that be college or whether that be a technical or vocational school that you choose to go to for plumbing or HVAC, it doesn't matter. But having some sort of skill that is invaluable that will get you a career will get you out of this cycle that you not like. That's a pretty important discussion. I mean, you teach
2: fifth grade, you talk mm-hmm. to, and you've taught other grades in elementary school. You talk to little kids about that idea?
1: Yeah. um The lowest grade I've taught is fourth grade. So my fourth and fifth graders, that's exactly what I talk about. We talk about the potential of going to college and a lot of them, of course, want to be athletes and there's nothing wrong with wanting to um, inspire to go to that highest level of the NFL or NBA. But uh, as we all know, that's a small percentage of um, people who actually make those uh, careers. So, what's your plan B? Yeah, what 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 else are you going to do? I think the biggest thing for me with my demographic is when I have kids at home who are going through a lot of things, such as homelessness or hunger or domestic violence. Why is social studies important? You, why is te- why is the main idea important when I'm thinking about what I saw last night in my household? Trying to make that correlation because in their mind, th- what Miss Manfees teaching this is irrelevant because what's going on in my life right now I can't fix. So I think trying to correlate the content to how that can transfer and 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 help their situation and it's, it's hard for a fifth grader to see five or six years away of how learning about the main idea and supporting details is going to. Help you in life? Yeah, right. The, their experience trumps everything
2: else, right? Exactly. Continuing the conversation about you know kids feeling secure at school. Last year was the highest number of students who were shot or injured in schools around America. How do you think the the sort of spates of school shootings and and obviously your whole career would have been you know spent with lockdowns and other kinds of things. How do you think those kinds of issues around school safety uh, affect your kids?
1: I think they're very aware of it. They're very cognizant of those things that are going on. Hmm. Um, and you think, although they're in fifth grade. They don't know what's going on, but they they very much are. Um, and it does contribute to how they feel. And when we have those evacuation drills or those lockdown drills, I will say for the most part, my kids take those very seriously. I think that they're very aware of those things that are happening because those are things that are also happening maybe in their community as well. And what about you? How does it affect you? It, it just, it sickens me that like in a school building that we have to have these sort of drills and lockdowns. And it also is scary that I'm responsible for these 25 lives as well, if something were to happen. And, um, one of the trainings we did um, a few years ago was um, an ALICE training, and it talked about, like, the teacher, like, I'm on the third floor. It, it would be my responsibility to see, like, look in the hall, like, are we are we going to stay or are we going to flee? And that's a big decision to make if that were to happen, whether I'm going to stay in there with my kids or if I'm going to flee, you know, while the active shooter is on the other side of the building. And, I ah, you know I, it's it's a very scary thought what do you do to keep yourself well and um you know
2: reduce stress cuz it's teaching's a stressful job like how do you take care of yourself
1: there's a certain point and it sounds very cold but you have to disconnect and you have to uh cut it off. So I have a few apps that I use for parent communication. After a certain time, I will not answer those messages on those apps. Um, I still have my email going to my phone, which I probably should change. But also on the weekends, I try to use that as sacred time. Like that's my time to be with family and friends and do what I need to do to make myself well. Because if I run myself ragged, then it's not doing anything for yeah. my kids. And it also puts you on edge with your kids and you start to get very irritated by the smallest things. And you're like, that's, it's me. It's not you. I'm just yeah. being very irritable at the moment. Wow. Well, you're super self-aware. So uh, would that everybody
2: had as good boundaries as that at work. So I read a, a business article the other day about the fact that one of the ways to deal with stress and kind of rejuvenate yourself is to treat your weekends as though they're like mini vacations. So sounds like you've got that and got that sorted. I I love love that word sacred. And yeah, being able to cut off uh, off digitally. I mean, we'd all like to do that a bit better, wouldn't we? Do you want to be a principal? Because I know your next master's degree is uh, in leadership, right? Yeah,
1: I would love to get into educational administration. That's my next journey. What appeals to you about that? What appeals to me about that is the fact that you're able to mentor teachers and you're able to shape the different teacher leaders in the classroom. That's appealing to me. Right.
2: And of course, together, as you're bringing together teachers in a school, you can also change the culture of a whole school. I feel like
1: me being in administration, I want to be a teacher's principal. And I'm there for kids, obviously. I'm there for parents. But also you're that liaison between teachers in your building and whether that be the board office or whoever your supervisor is as well. Right. Yeah, it's funny.
2: Teachers uh, teachers sort of have a boss, but they don't sometimes, right? I mean, sometimes they feel like their boss is the union because the union helps grant them salary increases, et cetera, or negotiates on their behalf. Um, but sometimes they can feel like it's their principal. I mean, you know, in, in the corporate world and most, most, uh, research shows this is people leave their job or stay in their job because of their boss. And it's interesting to think about what does it mean to be the boss of teachers and what, what can you do to be, be their mentor? So I love that phrase, teacher's principal, a principal's teacher, teacher's principal. (laughs) So let's, let's talk a little bit about, uh, technology, love it or hate it. Love technology. Love technology. All right, me too. So tell me, what's your favorite technology to use, not in your personal life, not when you're having your <laughs> sacred time, but, you know, to to do your job?
1: Uh, my favorite uh, type of technology to use with students is anything that is live, where it gives live feedback or they can lively input answers. Um, one example is Quizlet Live, where mm-hmm. it's interactive and it's very real time where they're competing against each other and they can see who's winning and they can see what's right. And it also allows for collaboration as well.
2: So what do you think you, why why do you think the live part is so important? What are you, what are you trying to get, get from That. that?
1: Kids have to have immediate feedback. Right. Um and technology gives that to them and it allows me to give that to them. Right. Um Google Classroom is something that I love to use as well. I love that when kids can type up an assignment and I can highlight it and put comments and insert the rubric and they can instantly have it returned to them and and focus on those areas.
2: Yeah, so the instant feedback's not just for the kids. Yeah. It's also for you, right, so that you can adjust what you're doing a little bit more in real time. When you think about the job of teaching, is there some part of teaching that if you could wave your magic wand and change the job of the teacher,
1: what would you do? Give more time for teachers to collaborate and have that authentic relationship with one another. What does that look like? That looks like time to plan together.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: Oftentimes we do have a schedule. We do it, but definitely not as often as. How often would it, should. it be? Probably once a week to see interdisciplinary things aligned. For example, if I'm teaching something in reading, then, you know, the science teacher is also covering it. If. If the story, this the lesson this week is on Mars, then she can also cover some science and aligning the curriculum in, in that regard. And why would you want to do that? It increases student engagement. Mm-hmm. Kids are more engaged. I can't tell you how many times that we've read different things in reading that have to do with science and I literally go over to my teaching partner like the kids are asking questions about I don't I don't know and she'll come in for like a mini lesson to talk about it and it, it would just be amazing if that's where the curriculum map was at the time and my curriculum map was there as well yeah that makes a lot
2: of sense uh, I mean it, school being so segmented into domains I think mm-hmm. actually makes it harder for kids rather than easier because yes. that's not how the world is So, as you think about all of the pieces of what it means to be a teacher, which is, you know, obviously knowing your content, knowing your curriculum, thinking about the curriculum in holistic ways, being mindful of students and what they've experienced outside of the classroom, what do you think it means to be a teacher today? And how is that different from
1: um, how it may have been in the past? Oh, a teacher today, you're a jack of all trades. You do everything, you're a nurse. You're sometimes a mom. You're sometimes a social worker, (laughs) even though we have an awesome school social worker. Sometimes you're a disciplinarian. And then teaching almost seems to come last to all those things. It's almost like, you know, Maslow's hierarchy of needs. You know, until your students' needs are met, then the education can't happen. Like the teaching can't happen. So I've got to make sure all my kids' needs are met before I can actually engage them in learning. So definitely it's, you're a jack of all trades. It's not just coming in, doing a lesson plan, executing it, assessing, you're done. There's you're, you're a judge, you resolve conflicts, you do so many things every day in the split second decisions that you make in a day and how it affects a kid's life. And one thing that I learned later on in my career is it's okay to be wrong, and I had a really hard time with that um with my kids with apologizing to them- mm-hmm. you know, if I've jumped to conclusions or if I've was too harsh with the consequence, it was really hard for me to say, I'm sorry, <laughs> I apologize, I was wrong, and that goes a long way. I've learned with kids, yep as an adult to say, I messed up. I'm sorry. Will you accept my apology? Yeah. That is a way to build trust Mm -hmm. and a
2: way to give kids power in the classroom. Mm -hmm. Right. And I think that's part of what can be challenging for so many kids in school is that school feels like a powerless place. And if home is powerless as well, it can exacerbate it. So Absolutely. ways that teachers can give back power is a is a great goal. Mm-hmm. What's your one wish for your students
1: at the end of this year, your fifth graders? I want them to be authentic. I want them to be more caring. And I want them to grow academically overall. That's why I'm here. But definitely those character building traits are important as well. And I want them to be ready to go to sixth grade and be mature and responsible for their own actions. Right now, it's something we're struggling with is you have to own your own behavior. Yes, you do. Well, this has been such a great
2: conversation, Brittany. And uh, my daughter's in in third grade, but I I wish that when she hits fifth grade or fourth grade, she's got a teacher like you. Well, thank you. Uh, So thank you for everything that you do for your kids and for the profession of teaching every day.
0: Thank you. Thanks for listening and learning with us. Join our community and read our Shaped blog by visiting hmhco.com backslash Shaped. That's hmhco.com slash S-H-A-P-E-D. And while you're there, be sure to check out Brittany Mamphy's latest blog post on professional development. You can follow HMH Learning Moments on iTunes, Spotify, or wherever you listen to podcasts. We hope you enjoyed today's show and will please consider rating and reviewing or sharing with your network. HMH Learning Moments is produced by Houghton Mifflin Harcourt, The Learning Company. Thanks again for listening.